State of Digital Publishing is a startup market research publisher producing a publication and community for digital media publishing professionals, content, and media owners in new media and publishing technology. In this episode, we speak with Matt Kilmartin, co-founder and CEO at Habu, about the data cleanrooms. Habu is a data cleanroom software company. We make it seamless for businesses to generate high-value analytics from controlled data sets while protecting the privacy of consumers and the rights of data owners. Let's begin. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm great, Vahe. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. It's it's good that we connected after a little bit of rescheduling, but I appreciate you joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Well, I think it's an interesting time that you've also joined. I guess, you know, we've recently heard the discussion of the third-party cookie announcement from depreciation delayed by Google again by another year. So I've interestingly been having conversations with other publishers and other ad tech vendors as well about some of the things that they're focusing on, whether it's um, just pure first-party data or using Google Sandbox. But um, data clean rooms is something that's pretty interesting that we should explore. I haven't heard about it before. I met you guys and introduced, were introduced by you guys, but... I guess before we go into data clean rooms and, and everything else around that, Matt, maybe it'd be great if you can start with a background about Habu and sort of yourself and, and how, how sort of Habu works in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. So Habu is a data clean room software company. What we do is we help data owners provide privacy safe environments, which is called the data clean room, uh, to be able to share access to data and, and insights to data as well. And so as we jump into the conversation, I can share a bit more detail about how Habu came to be and what are the, the conditions in the market that, that set up sort of the, the need for Habu. But, but the gist of it is people in the ecosystem, media companies have a desire to expose data, share data, allow advertisers to access data. And given sort of these changes in the ecosystem, you know, it's requiring different technology to do it. And so that's really what, where data clean rooms come in is providing uh, privacy safe ways to, to collaborate around data. And just frankly, like, why should publishers care about data cleanrooms? Like, you know, if, if they have their own like data infrastructure or they might think, be thinking about other ways of storing that data, like, you know, why is that more, why would data cleanrooms be a better potential reason than other things out there at the moment? Yeah, I wouldn't think of it as, a, as an or, as opposed to sort of their own data infrastructure. I would think of it more as an and, right? And, and the right. reason I say that is because, Listen, all publishers are investing in first-party data. All publishers are on a push to sort of get more, you know, PII authenticated audiences. All publishers are sort of building out their, their data infrastructure. The role a data cleanroom plays is really around sharing it with other parties, right? So if we just stick with an advertiser, for example, mm-hmm. sure, a, a publisher might give that data to an actual advertiser, but maybe they don't want to, right? Maybe they don't want to share impression level data, or maybe they want to uh, expose access to the data for uh, different use cases. And so what a data cleanroom does is it really does a few things. One is it provides a lot more controls around provisioning access to data. It provides future-proof things from a privacy perspective, right? Because sharing you know, user level data and raw data and just giving it to somebody else that's in violation with, with some of the, the changing privacy laws. And the th- third thing is it does, it really sort of builds more transparent sort of data partnerships between publishers, data owners, and, and, and advertisers. So it's not a, you know, back to your original question in terms of uh, building your own data warehouse, why would they want to use a data clean room? It's, it's 
yes, keep building your first party data warehouse, keep building up your first party data. A data clean room is really that neutral privacy safe connective tissue for your data with advertisers or other people who want to access your data. Does that, does that help? Oh, definitely. I think that makes sense. And that's sort of triggered in my mind. Like when I've seen in the past year or so, like just like how other tech, I know this is like a tangential example, like when you're trying to provide uh, like LastPass doing their own type of password sharing or that kind of technology is coming in the last four, it, it makes sense that in the first party data sense that that would also apply. So when did you see data clean room software come to fruition and, yeah. and mainstream and, and sort of how does that tie in with the story with Habu and, and why it sort of exists and when it sort of came about? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question, Vahe. And um, it's funny, I, it feels a little trite to say sort of the reasons why today, but five years ago, they weren't sort of as obvious to everyone. And that's really when, when I first saw it. So I was working at Salesforce and really focused on a lot of their uh, B2C applications, which were helping media companies and publishers and, and different enterprises with their consumer data. So think commerce, think marketing, think um, service. And it was really clear that there was really three sort of major trends, right? I'd say that sort of that, that led to it, right? One was the, the, the media behemoths, right? You know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, people often sort of refer to as walled gardens they started constraining access to data, right? So advertisers used to be able to get sort of impression level data from all these walled gardens. They effectively sort of shut off the spigot, right? And so you couldn't get that impression level data from, from the walled gardens anymore. Rather, and Google was the first one, they would take advertisers' raw user level data mm -hmm. and they would drop it in a, a big query instance, which is a, a product inside of Google Cloud, for advertisers to query, right? And so that was one trend where the walled gardens basically were shutting off access to a lot of the, the media data. That was sort of one big trend. So, so, you know, obviously a large portion of advertisers' dollars go towards these walled gardens and all of a sudden they're not able to get impression level data. I'd say the other sort of two big uh, aha moments for Habu was this whole notion of, of death of the third-party cookie, right? And, and that's the one I feel a little bit trite saying because everyone knows it and Google's kicked the can down the road for another year. But the reality is, is all of the measurement and targeting, and targeting infrastructure is built on browser technology, mobile device identifiers, which are going to go away at some point, right? And so, sure, even though people think they might have a little bit more time, the reality is, is it's a fragile technology, which is not super privacy safe, which is not going to be around for the long haul, right? And so that was one of the other trend. And then the other big trend is just these privacy laws where, you know, you there's different definitions in different countries around what you can and can't do with, with PII data. And it's real. It's not, you know, back, you know, if we think about those of us who've been in this industry for a long time, you know, it used to be self-governance. It used to be, you know, best practices around the stuff. It's now fines, right? And, and how you treat user level data. So it's really these trends of like privacy, walled gardens, you know, pulling, constraining access to data, browsers, sunsetting a lot of these technologies, which led to the uh, starting conditions, I would say, for Habu, right? And the starting conditions is basically the cha these changes all create a world of distributed data, right? Where you don't have data flying around like it used to with tags all over the, the you know, different apps and uh, websites and whatnot, right? And so there's this world of distributed data and publishers still have a need to sell audiences. Advertisers still have a need to target audiences, to still measure. And so how do you do this in this new era where you can't sort of stitch everything back to sort of one common ID? How do you do it in the world of distributed data? And that was 
I'd say, for lack of a better word, sort of the aha moment of why we started Habu. And Data Clean Room really became the, the vehicle around delivering on some, a lot of these data-driven advertising use cases in this new, new world of decentralized data. And Google, just to, to answer your question succinctly, Google was the first data clean room with their ads data hub product back in, I think it was probably 2016 or so. Hmm. Uh, they were the first ones who actually launched a data clean room and uh, the other walled gardens have followed suit. And now you have a ton of publishers and retailers all in, investing in the technology and standing up their own uh, data collaboration environments. Well, thanks. Thank you for the rundown. I think that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's probably safe to assume that there's going to be further iterations as we go. But um, what do you define as you know, with a lot of the third party alternatives and data clean rooms as well? Like, what's going to be that main underlying trend or underlying factor that's going to make this a sustainable path for publishers to invest in moving forward? Yeah, it's a that's a great question. You know, I'd say what we're seeing now is. We're seeing the early movers, right? Really invest in the technology and really start to, to dictate how they want to sort of work with work with their data and work with the buy side, right? And I'd say what's interesting about it is you definitely have like a, a chicken or the egg, right? Because this one thing is like, well, maybe an agency or an advertiser says to a publisher, hey, this is the environment I want you to work with, right? And so if you think about other technologies out there, are publishers going to wake up and have to work across many of these different environments, right? And so I'd say what we're, and, and that's probably undesirable, right? And so our recommendation for publishers is whatnot is to not necessarily sit on the sideline and wait, because if they do, they're going to wake up and sort of have to be at the whim of everything sort of different advertisers want, but to actually sort of stand up their preferred solution. And if they have to, to work with different solutions for different companies, then, then so be it, right? But I think the there's so much change and so many unknowns in our industry right now. It's common to maybe have people sort of want to sit on the sidelines and, and wait for clarity. I don't think we're going to have clarity for a while, right? And so the companies that I see who are leaning to technology and actually delivering use cases, working with key partners around data collaboration are the ones I think are going to have a huge competitive advantage. And I think those are going to be the ones who are going to dictate, right? And so Disney's an example of a client of ours and Disney Select is their data clean room offering. And yeah, they work with another partner as well, but we are their primary solution and the primary way in which they're going to work with, with the buy side around exposing exposing data for, for different use cases. And so I think any publisher out there who has a differentiated audience that, that is in demand and, and valuable should be thinking about this technology and, and setting up the terms in which they want to collaborate with partners and, and start with identifying some use cases that might make sense, right? Because I think if you don't, I think the reality is, is you'll wake up a year or two from now and you're going to have to be at the whim of, of all the different buy side uh, partners in terms of what they actually might want to do. Yeah, I think on top of that, from my opinion, just with the limited understanding that I have as well, is just like potentially data clean rooms can also be a way like, because you can have all these competing protocols. It might be a way to have a more standardized protocol, but that's always been the challenge in the nature of the web. But um, I think, Matt, let's, since you've been emphasizing a lot about the use cases, I'd like to dis demystify that a little bit more. Sure. Well, publishers and um, Habu has a solution around privacy safe options and like data closed loop measurement. I think one of the things that we, you know, you mentioned as well is about how we can provide that measurement to those pub between like the relationship between agencies and advertisers with publishers to provide that closed loop measurement. It's always been a challenge. 
how do you guys work with that as a use case with Harbor at the moment? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, measurement is a very common use case, right? In terms of how, how can sort of advertisers in a privacy safe way share that conversion signal and overlay it with uh, everything that happens in, in a publisher's environment to do sort of closed loop uh, measurement and attribution. And so that's definitely uh, a very common use case. Another very common use case is just around pre-planning insights, right? Where you know, advertiser might have a first party data set and they might want to understand something as basic as overlaps in terms of which users do you have, which users do you not have, which might inform their, their creative strategy. Another common use case, in addition to just, you know, the basic overlaps is starting to expose, you know, audience enrichment, right? Where, you know, a publisher might have this view of, of different users in terms of in their environment, publishers have a lot of other uh, attributes and, and views into those different audiences as well. And so they can uh, overlay and enrich those those audiences as well. We're starting to move into targeting. And, and what's interesting is the use cases are, are getting even more sophisticated, right? Where it's less around, you know, hey, advertiser data set, publisher data set, what's the overlap? Now we're seeing things in terms of, you know, modeling where people or advertisers actually might have their own models that they actually, you know, they might have a, a propensity model around likeliness to, like, likelihood to buy or, a lifetime value model or something like that, where they are actually wanting to run that model on top of the publisher's data set, right? And so, and then the output of that can be a, a list for targeting. And so it's, there, there's no, um, the use cases are, are all the tried and true sort of digital data-driven advertising tactics in terms of analy analytics, insights, measurement, targeting that we're used to. Mm -hmm. It's just doing it in a much more sort of transparent way and in, in a privacy safe way as well. Right. And that's, that's a big piece of it too. Right. The, you know, I, I think when we were catching up beforehand, you asked a little bit about privacy and, and, and different in a shifting privacy regime and different laws and whatnot as well. And so it really is future-proofing a way to do all these data-driven advertising tactics, leveraging a, a software like a cleaner, like, like a Habu. I think one of the, yeah, I think those are all strong points. I think the main thing that I want to also clarify from that is like as much as publishers still work on models and that overlay and everything else that helps them bring that transparency, I still feel like, sorry, this is such a subjective opinion, but I still feel like sometimes when I ask those publishers, well, if you look at have you when you've used these models and out of early this data, how's that helped? And it's like, yeah, we can see some difference, but we can't sort of specify specifically as much as they have the models. Like how does um, with Habu and with the data that you're combining allows that to be like very clear cut to, to really take advantage of targeting audiences, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I can give you a very specific example, right? Yep. So there's a, there's a CPG advertiser and they... Uh, license transaction data set and uh, offline transaction data set. And they have built models and adver this, this is buy side, right? Advertisers sort of built models around likelihood to buy their products, right? And so, you know, someone like a CPG doesn't have a lot of first party data. Uh, a lot of their transactions happen offline, right? Mm -hmm. So in this particular use case, they are actually, so they, they have built sort of propensity models around likelihood to buy products. They are actually working with publishers to combining that transaction data set, right? And actually running their models on publishers' data sets and effectively scoring the publishers' data and identifying sort of who they want to target, right? So it's less around the publisher creating the audience in that case. It's more around the publisher 
exposing their data in a privacy safe way to allow this advertisers to, to, to run models against it, to identify who are most likely to, to buy their products. So that's a kind of a sophisticated example, but it is a real one, which we're, which we're seeing with one of our, with uh, one of our customers right now that's happening in market. Very good. No, I appreciate that. I guess it seems like you also have to have an understanding and I don't know what data you, I mean, you have to have sort of that readiness to be able to really do this as well. So when publishers come to you, I know it, it sounds like you're also working with more enterprise and larger publishers, but um, what, when's that readiness stage for them to say, okay, yeah. well now? Yeah, listen, that's a good question. I think that, and it's interesting, it's like, because a lot of the use cases today, or at least what I would say is like version one of clean rooms has been very much around mm -hmm. data scientists, right? And data scientists on both sides, being able to sort of access the data for, for, for these different use cases. One of Habu's sort of differentiators is this Habu intelligence layer, which is really around prepackaged analytics and queries where it doesn't necessarily sort of have to be data scientists. And it gives the tools to publishers to say, what, what information do I want to share? And, and it actually gives them the tools to expose it via a user interface, right? Via a business-friendly user interface, as opposed to like that sophisticated data science example that I just gave you. So back to your question directly in terms of like, yeah, yes, you're right. I think that customers today are, I wouldn't say, say it's big enterprises. I'd also say it's people with differentiated audiences, right? I think that's mm -hmm. probably a good clarification because there are some endemic publishers in the travel space and in the auto space that are not mm, huge, right? But they have really valuable data, right? And they might not obviously don't want to necessarily just give that data out, right? And so how can they build more strategic partnerships with buy side partners around gaining access to that data, right? And so I'd say that's probably the readiness thing, Vahe, is more around sort of an assessment around sort of uniqueness of data and, and value of data, and then trying to figure out, is this more, you know, I think one common use case we saw early on was like certain publishers didn't want to share impression level data anymore, right? They basically, you know, they'll do it with measurement partners or whatnot, but like, they don't want to necessarily share all this impression level data. So this is a way where they can sort of provide access to it, right? But I think for the the readiness comes down to, you know, what is it a value add with the campaigns? Will it drive more revenue for them in terms of uh, exposing this data? Is it a new offering where they mm -hmm. could actually provide and provision access to the data with key, with key partners. So I'd think it's more around that in terms of readiness. So, and obviously, you know, you have to sort of have your, your, your first party data house in order as well. You know, we, we didn't really touch on this before, but we have a um, strategic partner with partnership with Snowflake. Snowflake actually invested in Havu as well. They invested in our series B wow. um, last year. And um you know, Snowflake is obviously the gold standard for, for cloud data warehouses out there and providing sort of that, that cross-cloud uh, interoperability. And um, we work a lot in terms of democratizing access in terms of the data on top of Snowflake and, and giving publishers the ability to provide sort of that business user application as well in terms of provisioning access, provisioning insights and analytics as well. And so I think a lot of it just comes down to value of your data and and from a business perspective what do you what do you what do you want to actually accomplish and whatnot and um what additional value can it can it create for you so i would not get you know just because i'm talking about disney and nbcu and 
uh, huge, you know, media companies out there, I would just think more of around uniqueness of your data set and the value of, of being able to sort of share it in a privacy safe way without actually give, giving it to other external parties. No, I appreciate you clarifying that because I immediately, silly me as well, I went and said large. So it's thank you for clarifying that. Uh, let's take a bit of a step back, Matt, because we I think we went to the end before we went through the process Um, because people will sort of need to understand as well how to sort of deal and interact with, they need to extract that data from World Gardens and you know be able to use clean data software to be able then to enable that sharing. So how does publishers utilize Habu in that sense to extract that or interact with that? I know you mentioned business interface as one aspect, but how do they sort of utilize that to create successful campaigns? Uh, you mean in terms of how do advertisers leveraging the software to create successful campaigns or more uh, uh, publishers? Publishers, publishers. Publish, yeah. I think it starts with pre-planning, right? I think it starts with 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 the pre-planning insights in terms of you're exposing the data that that advertisers, you know, giving advertisers the ability to overlay first-party data sets to understand, to inform uh, targeting strategies. So I'd say that's one of the the, the first use cases that that we see with 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 publishers uh, embracing. And then the second one is really audience enrichment, right? Being able to a lot of publishers are invested in in different DMPs and different audience data platforms out there. How do you sort of enrich as a value add to enrich the data as well that you're getting from advertisers too. And then, you know, I would I what I would recommend is really starting with a few, right? Like I talk a lot about scaling it. I talk a lot about prepackaged insights and really scaling the offering. I think the reality is, is I think the stage of the market we're at right now is more working with sort of a, a, a few partners, right? And so when we work with some part publishers in the beginning, it's more like, okay, we're going to work with five or 10 of our most strategic advertisers to, to explore use cases and what it is exactly they want to do and what why do they want access to our data and what do they want to do with our data and what use cases do they actually want to accomplish, right? Is it all targeting? Is it all is it all measurement? What, what additional data are they bringing in, right? And so I think the insights and enrichment is a very common use case to get started, mm-hmm. but I also think it's putting a flag in the stand and, and saying, you know, we, we are leaning and in, investing in this technology, going to key advertisers and agency partners and understanding what would they actually like to do with, with this and sort of working with key partners that way, I think is a, is a great way to get started. So based on, you said, you said start with one sort of data partner advertiser and then go from there, like, is there a case do you have, or is there, do you feel like there's a criteria that after doing several integrations and then is there a particular period of time that publishers have to look at and say, okay, I think now we can use data clean room as a way to actually enable the integration better. Like what do you, what is a indicator of success in terms of that tech stack? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, listen, I think at the end of the day, publishers want an ROI from this, right? I think whether it's a new revenue stream around data, whether it's increased performance of a campaign or uh, someone spending more money with them. And so I think that ultimately that is criteria of, of success that a lot of these publishers have as well. And I think that comes over time. I, 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 it's, but, I, but I also think that a lot of the people that are investing in this technology right now are viewing this as like, this is foundational, right? This is going to be foundational in terms of how I'm going to be sharing, how I'm going to be exposing, how data-driven advertising is going to work in the future. And, and so I think the maybe mark of success, I think, is like 
mutual value derived between the publisher and the advertiser in terms of what do they actually want to accomplish. And I think from there, it's okay, how do we replicate and scale, right? And I think that we're definitely sort of at that point with some of our more sophisticated customers where they're talking about sort of replicating and scaling, mm-hmm. but it's a journey, right? And I think it definitely sort of takes takes time, right? And so that's why my recommendation is sort of starting with you know five or 10 key partners and sort of identifying the use cases and what do you actually want to accomplish? What data you want to share? Why? And then from there, it's mutual success. And then from there, I think you think about scaling. One of our our customers, for example, they are now at the point where they are thinking about, they have sort of their larger customers and maybe there's hundred or so in that category. And then there's more sort of long tail, right? And they're starting to think about long tail as well. And they're thinking about sort of sophisticated use cases with these sort of top 100. Now they're starting to think about long tail as well. But I think they're, you know, they're a year into the technology or year plus already into the technology, right? And the way they started was exactly the way I'm I'm recommending getting started. I think I think that's really good to know. Even even that expectation of like try five, 10 partners, because just from the outset, from what I'm looking at, when I've spoken to other publishers, they that maybe like they go deep into one solution then they're like they see other things out there they're like should i try this should i not like it's there's either like that lack of commitment or like they are like just going too deep in and maybe they're being hesitant so it's it's really refreshing to hear sort of your perspective on that so that's, yeah that's, i think the one thing the one thing i'd say though is i do think the category is going to get you know it's, it's interesting yeah it's it's, it's, it's yeah, quite a bit. Well it's one of these terms like once one of these terms in our industry takes foot it's like there's a lot of confusion right and we're already starting to see it, right? Where definitely like pure plays like ourselves, right? Every identity vendor basically has a data clean room, right? We're starting to see some CDPs, customer data platforms say they can actually do it, right? And so, you know, I think our, you know, a few of sort of our, the reason, I think one of the reasons why we're having a lot of success is just our, our two reasons. One is just this, we're not just built for data scientists. It's really sort of democratizing the insights and analytics so that Habu intelligence layer. And then I think another key reason is just around being agnostic around identity and also cloud data infrastructure, right? Um, and so the I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, this person's on this ID graph, this person's on this ID graph, everything will sort of just work magically. I don't think it actually, it doesn't actually work that day. And I think a lot of people are sort of investing in in their own ID graphs as well. And, and I think that there's this, this misconception in this industry sometimes. And so being identity agnostic, we think is a, is a, is a key uh, foundational principle as well, which I think sort of serves us well. And then the other one, I talked about the partnership with Snowflake, just the ability to sort of work across all the different sort of cloud data infrastructures as well. And Snowflake obviously works on top of AWS and GCP and, and, um, AWS GCP at Azure. And so and I think being able to work without having to move the data is a, is a is a key is a key piece as well. Because not everyone sort of, you know, a lot of the first version of clean rooms requires like party A, party B, move your data into this location. That's not actually how Habu works, is it data state resides in its own sort of environments. And Habu is doing analytics and queries across the data without actually having to move the data. So there's a lot of innovation, I'd say, around privacy and, and access in the data that's unique to, to Habu. And I think a lot of the people who are sort of just kind of rushing into the category might sound good on PowerPoint, but I think are going to lack sort of the, the robustness to help enterprises deliver on these use cases. Speaking of innovation, so around June, I believe there's a bunch of new products that you guys rolled out. 
there's also you know the ongoing nature of the changes in legislature like as a ceo of the company co-founder like how sort of is your outlook on trying to sort of be trying to think ahead whilst also yeah. in, 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 in the, and and how does those product decisions how is the decision making of the products and the influence of that resulted in the recent products that you guys have rolled out yeah no absolutely so Two questions in there. So I'll tackle them sort of each separately. One was sure. just around our product announcement and whatnot, and and really around uh and the second one was around privacy. And so and they're they're sort of interrelated, but I think some of the announcements we talked about in June was really around some of that Habu intelligence I talked about is really around, you know, really around sort of democratizing access to the data and defining what data you want to be able to share for what actual use cases. And so, you know, we have a, a sort of business-friendly user interface, which the output of some of these analytics jobs can be consumed via a UI. What we actually have on the back end is the ability to, for a publisher to actually define the queries, define the questions, define the data they actually want to share. So it's a lot of workflow automation, the ability to sort of package up queries in terms of, you know, what outcomes or what insights or what analytics do we actually want to share? So it's really, a lot of it was around scaling and actually giving publishers the tools to actually build environments in terms of which they want to share data. So those were, a lot of it is definitely sort of around scaling and analytics, but core to all that as well is privacy. And I think that is, I, I probably should have covered this when we were talking about some of the differentiation because that's a North star in all this, right? And in a world, of, I mean, it actually gives me sort of a, a, even though there's a lot of unknowns and shifting privacy legislation, like our approach gives me a lot of confidence because, and I think that this environment actually gives, is, a, is probably a good thing for Habu, right? Because the other platforms out there are sort of retrofitting sort of what they might have to be able to sort of adapt with different privacy. There's a competitive advantage if you can start from a clean slate and design privacy in a day one, right? And so we have all sorts of different privacy enhancing technologies built into our platform around differential privacy, around injecting noise into different queries, around not doing different things at the user level, if you want to sort of do things at the cohort level. And there's a lot of privacy sort of technologies built natively into the platform, which gives us confidence and comfort to, to know, just regardless of sort of what happens in the ecosystem, we're going to be okay because it's very flexible. And I think if you look at the types of companies who are our customers today, you know, people like well, on, on the publisher side, I already talked about Disney a little bit, Kroger, 8451, second largest retailer in the United States. We work with, you know, some large, uh, some large brands as well. Those folks are sort of the, the gold standard for some of the, the, the privacy requirements and we're, we're passing those. And I think a lot of it comes down to that design principle of, of leaving data sort of where it resides. So, in, you know, in someone's, you know, that snowflake instance or whatnot that I, that I sort of alluded to there. So, um, and we'll continue to invest in it, right? And I think over time, it's interesting, these, these pets technology, you know, there's a, there's a working group right now inside of the IAB all around pets, you know, privacy enhancing technologies. And I think these will become sort of the, the future for, so yeah, those are some of our announcements in June. And those are some of the things we're thinking about for the future. And yeah, I'd say, you know, I think where it all goes, like I think of the entire over time, the entire ecosystem, I think, will be re rebuilt around this new world of distributed data. And so I think our thinking about scaling, thinking about continuing to sort of 
deliver on, on different use cases and whatnot, super serving both business users and also data scientists are, are some of the things that are, that are top of mind for, for us right now. But it's a, it's a super exciting time in a, in a super hot space working with very innovative companies. And uh, it's definitely, uh, definitely a lot of fun for sure. That's interesting. Congratulations again on the products, uh, the new product rollout. It sounds it sounds like that. It's definitely going to help you be more proactive rather than, than reactive, like you said, with retrofitting. What sort of, what's your inspiration to to keep being at the forefront? What do you keep looking at? Or is that something that's more internally led or like derived that you then as a leader can enable you to make decisions as a team to roll out new products? Like what's sort of that influence coming from for you as a leader? Yeah, I love working with smart people, right? <laughs> and whether it's smart people internally or whether it's really smart customers, like some of those examples I talked about were really smart customers, right? And I love sort of being at the forefront of change and building something new, right? And I think when I sort of decided to leave Salesforce and looked at some of the changes, like the rate of change was so fast and so sort of foundational, you need innovation, right? It's just a natural sort of cycle. And so that's, I'd say, the inspiration for us is really around innovating and our, our true North star is customer success, right? Like ultimately, like we, if we deliver value for our customers and, and key sort of people in the ecosystem, we're going to have a really sort of successful company. And so I'd say that's really our North star is really just continue to innovate with the ultimate goal of, of delivering value for our customers and, and the ecosystem as well. And so the fact that we are on sort of the, the cutting edge and working with some of the smartest companies out there on the stuff is, is part of our inspiration as well. And I think that I'd say another piece is just the, you know, I've been working in this, in this industry for, for, for quite some time now, and it's changed quite a bit. And I think we're definitely at another one of those, those, those inflection points. And I actually think despite people complaining about the changes and whatnot, like I actually think, I think it comes out sort of better, stronger, faster, and more transparent and more and better for consumers too. Right. I mean, there's a lot of opaqueness for consumers around how all this stuff works and, I don't think necessarily these consent buttons that we hit on all these different websites have solved anything. If anything, I think it confuses customers more, right? But I think notice and choice is a good thing. But I think over time, like this is better for all parties, publishers, advertisers, consumers as well. And I'd say that's a a North Star too for us. Let's put the crystal ball together. Like you said, decentralization is going to eventually happen. Like how long do you feel like it's going to, when do you feel that it's going to take place in the next decade? Or do you think it's going to be longer? Like I think it's here. Right. Like I actually, I think it's here, right. I think it's a matter of like how decentralized, decentralized, right. Cause I think the thing that, and I think the advertisers are struggling with right now is, okay. So I have a data clean room with Google. I have a data clean room with, with, with Amazon. I have one with Facebook. Oh, I have one with, you know, Disney and NBCU and wait a minute. Now I have 10 different systems to log into right and over, over time. And there will be some consolidation, but how do these things sort of become interoperable, right? And so I think the smart, some of the smarter agencies are starting to think about sort of building across, you know, obviously you can't stitch identity data from all those platforms. So how do you actually work across all these different environments? And I think that's something we're thinking about too. I'm seeing some agencies doing some interesting work in that area as well. And so I think it's here. I think it's just a matter of how mainstream will it get. Now back to your crystal ball question, mainstream, I'd say probably within the next 12 to 18 months would be my prediction. Oh, so very soon. Probably the advent of um, depreciation of third parties is just going to make be the catalyst potentially. Who knows? Potentially. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Matt, uh, I guess just with closing remarks, I just wanted to pass it to you to give any final thoughts or advice 
to publishers considering data clean rooms or just in general how they can approach their efforts yeah, in the next couple um, of months? Yeah. So, so first of all, hey, thanks for the opportunity to speak today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I, I think my advice would be like, don't sit on the sidelines, right? Like when I said sort of 12 to 18 months, maybe that's, that's mainstream. Like I, I definitely think there's a, I mean, I, I truly, truly believe, and I see it with whether it's publishers or whether it's agencies the, or advertisers, the people that are leaning into this category and doing stuff right now, they are absolutely going to have a competitive advantage. And so if you're going to sit on the sidelines and wait for clarity and wait for all this stuff to work out, I think that's a, a mistake. And I think the way you learn is by doing. And so my advice for any publisher out there sort of thinking of exploring the category would be to have a happy to have an exploratory conversation, but I would, uh, I would recommend sort of not necessarily sort of sitting on the, on the sidelines and, and uh, trying something and, and starting to think about, think about doing this because the worst thing you want to do is wake up a year from now, 18 months from now, and you have to work with 10 different environments because that's every sort of what the buy side says. And, and you don't necessarily have a point of view or haven't really done anything. So that would be my, uh, my advice to, for publishers out there. Bye. Awesome. And with that, thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. We'll be in touch. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the state of digital publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.